Who is starting at left tackle for the Jets? Is it Dwayne Brown? Is it Mekhi Becton? Is it someone else? We'll discuss today on Locked On Jets. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Wednesday, July 26th, 2023, and I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com. Thank you so much for making the show your first listen or first watch every day. Subscribe to the show for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so that when new episodes come out, you'll get them as soon as they're posted. If you enjoy the show and are listening to on a podcast source, please give it a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube, give this episode a big thumbs up. Helps us out. Helps other Jets fans find the show. This episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by eBay Motors. A championship team is about each player being a perfect fit. The same goes for your vehicle. So for parts that fit, head to eBay Motors and look for the green check. Stay in the game with eBay Guaranteed Fit. eBayMotors.com. Let's ride. eBay Guaranteed Fit, only available to U.S. customers. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Well, today we have our weekly mailbag show. Thanks so much to everybody who sent in mailbag questions. Each Wednesday, we try to have a mailbag with listener questions. Let's begin. And our first question is about the Jets at left tackle. John, with Becton on a quote-unquote practice play count and Dwayne Brown on the physically unable to perform list, who do you think comes out as the starting left tackle? I do get that Becton's snaps will increase during training camp, but does Joe Douglas have influence due to be Becton being a first-round pick of his? Well, that's a, it's a very interesting question. And a lot of this is guesswork. A lot of it we don't know because we're not sure exactly what Dwayne Brown – Dwayne Brown's status is he's coming off a fairly serious injury, you know, coming off a rotator cuff injury. That's not necessarily the easiest thing to recover from at the tackle position. And I'll say this for Dwayne Brown. He showed a lot of guts last year. A guy at 37 did not need to come to the New York jets. You know, the jets were in the playoff mix most of last season. We did not know that was the case. They were of course entering the season as a four off a four win campaign in 2021, for Brown to come to this team and play and play hurt because he got injured somewhere early in his Jets career and he missed the first couple of weeks. A lot of credit to, to Dwayne Brown for fighting through that injury last year and giving the Jets relatively effective play from the left tackle position. I was pretty vocal heading into the offseason. I felt like the Jets needed to move on from Dwayne Brown, but they did not. And they are very complimentary. It, it's both in what the team says directly to you and what you hear from people who are around behind the scenes. It really sounds like they love Dwayne Brown, and it's easy enough to understand why. I just mentioned that he played injured last year, showed a lot of professionalism, and I get the feeling the coaching, the coaching staff values that. Now, word came out yesterday that Mekhi Becton's on a bit of a quote-unquote pitch count, and they're kind of limiting his snaps in training camp this year. Listen, to me, that makes a lot of sense. He's coming off two full missed seasons, couple knee injuries you don't want to overexert him in the early stages of training camp makes a lot of sense to keep his snap totals down and then there's billy turner in the mix who's seen some snaps at the left tackle position so far in training camp so how does this all shake out well i, I kind of feel like if Dwayne brown's healthy he's going to be the guy and the jets are saying that there's an open battle in camp 
I'd love to see. I hope there is. But I just feel like in a situation like this, reading between the lines, it really feels to me like the coaching – I could always be wrong, but it feels to me like the coaching staff just really values Dwayne Brown. And beyond that, there's a lot to suggest that the relationship between Mekhi Becton and the coaching staff is not great. And you can go back to the comments Becton made a while back where he kind of sought out an interview. This was not like a gotcha question. You know, sometimes in New York, the media – kind of leads you and you maybe slip up and say something you did not really mean. Becton kind of sought out an interview and went out of his way to criticize the coaching staff for the way he handled for the way that they handled his injury and his recovery last year and kind of suggested that the coaching staff's methods may have contributed to him getting re-injured. And on the coaching staff side, I mean, it seems like there's some bad feelings there. I, I go back a year and you may remember the Jets did not give Becton a chance to win the left tackle job last year at the start of training camp. They just put George Fant in there. So that shows me, first of all, even though they claimed there was going to be a, a left tackle battle, there was not because there was a veteran that they liked better there. And the second aspect of this is, I don't care what you say. Go back a year. The Jets decided to put George Fant because at left tackle because he had a good 2021 season. I'm sorry, George Fant having a nice season in 2021 that alone is not something I believe makes you change your organizational organizational plan for a player who you just drafted in the top 11, not two years earlier. Last year, the Jets were ready to move, move Mekhi Becton, again, a guy who they had drafted really early in the first round, two years earlier. They were ready to move him off left tackle. There's more. T- I, I, you just can't convince me that George Fant playing a, dec- playing a decent season in 2021 was the only factor in that. It kind of suggests to me that there's you know something going on there. So, this is just an educated guess. But nothing would make me happier than Mekhi Becton going out and dominating in a training camp, earning that left tackle job and holding it down for years. And I think the Jets should have an open battle here because at 38 years of age, I don't think Dwayne Brown is the guy you tan the job to. He was at, a, at various points in his career. He had an excellent career, a heck of a player for a very long time. And again, very gutty performance a year ago. But I think the best days are far behind him. So, of course, it could all work itself out. You know, if Brown can't, is it not good to go by week one? Maybe Becton earns the job. Then it comes down to Becton versus Billy Turner. And, you know, it could come down to who you like at left tackle, who you like at right tackle. My guess is you'd like, uh, even though Turner's kind of gotten some of the earlier snaps, I'd like rather see Becton at left tackle and Turner at right tackle in that case. But we'll see. That's kind of my read on the situation, though. I, I think that, um, I, I just feel like Brown has the inside track because I think the coaches like value his professionalism. Next question. Do you think that if the Jets were not on hard knocks, that Quinn and Williams still would have gotten his contract extension? Did this actually make the Jets pull moves they already should have done to save face for the cameras? And should we be thankful they got picked so that the top brass would not play around and turn this into a circus again, a blessing in disguise, if you will. So the question is whether the Jets re-signed Quinn and Williams because they're on hard knocks. And while I can never answer a question like that with 100% certainty, I think I can get to like 95, maybe 96, 97, 98% certainty. No, the Jets did not re-sign Quinn and Williams because they're going to be on hard knocks. The Jets signed Quinn and Williams because Quinn and Williams is a great player. Quinn and Williams is a part of the core of this team. And Quinn and Williams needs to be here for years to come. I really doubt the Jets are real. That can, I know the Jets have kind of like given some thought to the idea that they don't love the idea that hard knocks will bring distractions. To me, that's just like over. That's just like coaches 
over complicating things. It's just coaches being worried about anything they can't control. But I don't think you're going to commit a big contract to a player just because you're afraid of what a five week television show where Quinn and Williams was going to be unhappy. That to me just that's just not as logical as the thought that this guy was an all pro. This guy's your best player. You got him for a market value contract. To me, that makes way more sense than the idea that the Jets are afraid of Quinn and Williams, you know, Quinn and Williams being a, a distraction on hard knocks. Quinn and Williams earned his contract. And I think that the Jets did a really good job locking him up. Now, hey, during the, the Locked On Jets podcast, we will turn our attention to the center position. Some interesting news coming out about who's playing with which team. Joe Tipman may be playing a little bit lower on the depth chart in the early stages of training camp than you might expect. What does it all mean? We'll discuss as we continue this Wednesday mailbag edition of the Locked On Jets podcast. Today's episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by BetterHelp Online Therapy. Sometimes in life, we are faced with tough choices, and the path forward is not always clear. Whether you're dealing with decisions around career, relationships, or anything else, therapy helps you stay connected to what you really want while you navigate life, so you can move forward with confidence and excitement. Trusting yourself to make decisions that align with your values is like anything. The more you practice it, the easier it gets. Better help is here, and if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. Therapy has so many benefits. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It is not just for those who have experienced major trauma. BetterHelp is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H E L P.com slash locked on. Thank you so much for making Locked On Jets your first listener, first watch every day. And a big shout out to you, everydayers, folks who tune into this podcast on a daily basis, Monday through Friday. Really appreciate you. We continue with our weekly mailbag show. Our next question. Zach Rosenblatt of The Athletic reported that Connor McGovern is playing with the starters and Joe Tippmann is playing with the third stringers. Is it mildly alarming that Tippmann is not even with the backups right now? I recall Nick Mangold taking the job and running with it his rookie season. Is it mildly alarming? Yeah, okay. I think we can say it's mildly alarming. It's, it's something that maybe raises your eyebrow a, a little bit. Uh, McGovern playing with the ones, Wes, Wes uh, Schweitzer playing with the twos and Tippmann playing with the threes. You want to be mildly alarmed, okay. But if you want to get if you want to get more alarmed than mildly alarmed, then I can't join you just yet. Uh, I think one thing to remember is that this coaching staff tends to ask young players to earn it. They they kind of put players near the bottom of the depth chart. There's history with this before. Easy to forget, Garrett Wilson. Now let's think this through. Garrett Wilson, who was the offensive rookie of the year last year, 1,100 receiving yards. He was not a week one starter for the Jets. In fact, there were reports last year that he was playing behind Braxton Berrios in camp. Imagine Garrett Wilson being behind Braxton Berrios in camp. But that's the way it was. And it wasn't until Garrett Wilson had his breakout performance week two against the Cleveland Browns that he earned a spot in the starting lineup. So that's a good example of why you want to be mildly alarmed. I can justify it. And I don't, I don't think you ever want to, you know, I don't think you ever want to read too much into it. I think there's also a danger of reading too little into it. It's something worth following. 
if you want to be mildly alarmed, be mildly alarmed. But I, I don't want to take it any further because the way I like to view training camp is kind of like a novel. I kind of like to view the full season as a novel and training camp is just the first chapter. So you can look at a guy who's playing really well in training camp or really poorly in training camp. And it's possible it's the beginning of a trend, but it's also possible that things are going to turn around. It's just too early to know how meaningful this is. And I'll go back to what I've been saying for weeks. I think the Jets want Joe Tittman to win this job. If you look at what they've invested to get Joe Tittman an early second round pick in a draft where they were short on picks versus what they've invested in Connor McGovern, a guy who they had in their locker room for three years and showed very little interest in retaining. And in fact, in fact, I don't think they would have even brought him back if the market had not bottomed out for him. It's clear that they like Tippmann longer term better than McGovern. And I think that they would love nothing more for Tippmann to earn the job, but I think they're going to make Tippmann earn the job. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I like competition. I like the idea. What did I just tell you? Left tackle. I want to see competition. I want the best guy to play. So I don't think it's a problem that they're starting Tipman out low. You know, the other guys are more established in the NFL and we'll see how Tipman does. Now, if he goes out there and struggles in preseason and doesn't look like he belongs, then that's a different story. Then we could start talking about, you know, maybe Tipman's not ready. And even then, you know, the Jets, I feel like when we drafted him, we knew that maybe it was going to take a little time. Maybe his hand placement was a little inconsistent and the Jets were still in a good shot, a good spot because they still had McGovern. So, Tipman can kind of come along at his own pace. I'm not very worried about this, though. I have to tell you, we need to see more. I want to be a little worried. Go ahead. Next question. What are your expectations for Mecole Hardman this season? I think before last season, he was on pace to average between 500 and 700 yards. I know Patrick Mahomes was his quarterback, but Rodgers is no slouch. I think he's a high upside guy, especially if someone was to get injured or traded like Corey Davis. But I would be interested to hear somebody else's opinion. I don't really know where the targets are coming from Nicole Hardman, unless there's some sort of move with Corey Davis. Um, I mean, let's think this through. Garrett Wilson's your number one receiver. We know that. Alan Lazard, Jets gave him a pretty expensive contract. He's got chemistry with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers is throwing Alan Lazard the football this year. If Davis is around, I mean, he's one of the top three receivers on the team. So who's number four? Well, you'd have to guess it's Randall Cobb. Jets brought Randall Cobb in specifically for Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers loves Randall Cobb. A lot of chemistry there. Cobb's at the end of his career, obviously, but I, I think Randall Cobb's ahead of Hardman. So Hardman's like the number five receiver right now. I mean, he's essentially, unless there's a move somewhere, he's a depth receiver. He's a special teamer. He'll get some of the Braxton Berrios, you know, touches in space. But I don't see where the touches are coming from because, I mean, the tight ends are going to see some targets. The running backs are going to see targets. Where's B. Cole Hardman producing? And I'll be honest with you, I'm not super high on B. Cole Hardman. I mean, you, you mentioned he's he was on a 500 to seven yard pace in Kansas City. He's 500 to 700 yards in the Kansas City offense with Mahomes throwing to him. I just don't think that's very impressive. And no, no Aaron Rodgers is no slouch, but I'm not expecting anybody to be better outside the Kansas City offense than, than they were in it. I, I think Hardman's like your typical Joe Douglas free agent signing. And I don't mean that as like a positive or a negative. Checks a lot of the boxes. Joe Douglas, we know he's a guy who tends to bet on draft pedigree. He likes to draft. He likes guys who were drafted early. He also likes maybe giving moderate money to guys who were a little disappointing with their original team. And he thinks maybe there's more there. Maybe he can get a steal out of them. And sometimes it works well. I think Sheldon Rankins is a good example of, of one of those 
a, a signing of that type that did pan out for the Jets, sometimes it works poorly. Uh, an example of that might be Jared Davis at the linebacker position. You, know, you could argue Corey Davis so far, even though I think a lot his issues were have been a lot more about injuries. But I just don't see where Hardman fits. And again, I mean, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's not like going to Aaron Rodgers is negative. But when you're coming from Patrick Mahomes, and not just Mahomes, but the Kansas City offense, and nothing against Nathaniel Hackett, but living in the Kansas City system, I, I don't really see where Nicole Hardman's going to break out for the Jets this year. I'd love to be wrong about it, but to me, he's the number five receiver on the roster. Now, head here on the Lockdown Jets podcast, we'll close out this mailbag sh show. We're going to talk about some of my earliest Jets memories. Got a question about uh jets teams of the distant past and we'll discuss that continuing this wednesday mailbag edition of the locked on jets podcast this is the locked on jets podcast here on this wednesday we're doing our weekly mailbag our next question do you remember the 1983 jets playing their final game at chase stadium did you see billy white shoes johnson score two touchdowns in the rain on a grass field including a 71 yard punt return the jets lost to the falcons uh, no, I did not. I actually was not born at that point. Uh, my dad may have. My dad was actually a longtime season ticket holder back in the Shea Stadium days. But uh, no, I did not see that. The first Jets team that I saw was the 1993 team where they finished 8-8 eight eight under uh, Bruce Coslett. That was a really – looking back on that season, and that was the first time I watched the Jets, that was a really interesting season. There was a lot of weird things that happened I mean, the Jets had a, back, a stretch of back-to-back -back weeks where they blew a 21-0 lead to the Eagles and a 17-0 lead to the Raiders and lost both games. Then later in that season, they had a three-week stretch where they did not score a touchdown, and they won two of the games. Now, I know I know your first thought was, oh, the Jets went three games without a touchdown. That's not a shock. But they actually won two of those games. They uh, beat New England 6-0, and they beat Washington 3-0. And they entered their final three games of the season at, with an 8-5 and five record and lost the final three. And the, th the thing about that was the schedule was really hard because the final three games included both teams that went to the Super Bowl, and then their final game was against a Houston team that was the two seed in the AFC. So they lost the first game they lost. They lost a Saturday game to Dallas in a pouring rainstorm in the Meadowlands. Got blown out. Then they went up to Buffalo. This was the fourth straight year the Bills were in the Super Bowl. You may, you may remember or you may have heard about the Bills in the early 90s going to the Super Bowl four straight years and losing all four times. That was the fourth Bills team, uh, that particular club. And the Jets could, should have won the game. Uh, the late Kerry Blanchard, their kicker, actually missed three field goals in that game. Any one of them would have won the game for the Jets. In fact, that was my first real Jets heartbreak. And then final game of the season, the Jets needed some help. They were playing Sunday night football in Houston against the then Oilers. Now they're the ten Tennessee Titans. The Oilers were on a great run that season. They were on a big winning streak. And uh, Jets got the help they needed. So they needed to win this Sunday night game in Houston. And they got blown out. And, you know, even though Houston was the number two seed, I guess I said, told you they were tough. The one thing was their quarterback wasn't playing. Warren Moon was not in that game. Warren Moon, the future Hall of Fame quarterback, sat that one out. But the Jets got blown out. And that was a game that's best known for uh, Buddy Ryan and Kevin Gilbride, the Oilers' uh, defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator, getting into a getting into a, a verbal altercation in the on the sideline, and then a punch being thrown by Buddy Ryan towards Houston's offensive coordinator, uh, Kevin Gilbride. So that game lives in NFL lore, but it was actually the end of a Jets season where they got blown out with a chance to make the playoffs. So 
a rough, rough uh, end to that season. That was my first Jets memory. I, I was I, I wasn't even born yet for the for '83. Uh, so that, but I I guess from the description that was given, it was also kind of painful. Um, next question: Do you agree that NFL running backs should have shorter rookie contracts so they can hit free agency before their career peaks? I don't. I, I think that, you know, you could argue then where do we draw the line? I mean, do other positions change the length of the rookie deal? I think the issue is not so much the rookie contract. I think it's just the way the position's valued. You, know, you could shorten the length of the rookie deal. Well, that makes the running back less valuable, doesn't it? Because you only get like what? If you reduce the rookie deal, if you only get three years of a running back versus four years of a receiver, it makes you less likely to take a running back. And no matter what, I think teams are just kind of shying away from investing in running backs. The view, and I think it's a correct view, is that the offensive line's more significant. I mean, let me give you a perfect example of how devalued the running back position is. Brees Hall went in the second round. And it's not like it was a mystery how Brees Hall was going to perform. You can go back to those podcasts. I was telling you, I thought Brees Hall was going to be phenomenal, and he was. But just because of the way the running back position is valued, he fell to the second round. Great, there was nothing wrong with Brees Hall. He was a he was like a he was an incredible prospect as a running back, but just wasn't, you know, again, wasn't valued because of his position. So I, I don't think that there's a lot that can be done there. I just wouldn't, you know, if you have a kid who's playing football, don't have him be a running back because those those the backs just are not valued these days. Teams have teams have figured out that you know you can plug guys in in committee. The offensive line probably matters more than the running back himself in most situations, unless you have an exceptional back like a Brees Hall. And, you know, they're not going to get paid the way receivers get paid, just the way it is. And our last question, and it's about my travel schedule. John, a little bird, birdie told me you're going across the pond. Will you be attending any cricket matches? On 8-2, there is a cricket match in London. London Spirit versus Oval Invincibles. Third 100 ball. Uh, yeah, you're actually right. I will be in a few weeks. I will be heading over to Europe uh, for a family wedding and I'll be hitting a few spots. The wedding itself is in is in Greece. So you'll be traveling through Europe with me. Locked on Jets will be on location in Europe uh, in the month of August. Uh, I, I actually will hit England. At, I'm planning on hitting England at some point, And I, I don't think I'm going to be able to make any cricket, but I am going to try and make it to a soccer match over there because the English Premier League season will have begun. So I'll be sure to fill you in on that. It'd be since since obviously people are interested since I'm getting a mailbag question on that. And we'll be we'll be traveling all over Europe in the month of August. We'll still do shows though. Don't worry about it. We're gonna have daily, we're gonna continue to have daily episodes. And then maybe up a little bit earlier because I'll be a few hours ahead of most of you over in the time zones in Europe. But that's all for today's episode. This has been the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day is our motto. As always, if you enjoy the show, hit the subscribe button where you're watching or listening so that you'll never miss an episode. If you enjoy the show and are listening on a podcast source, give it a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube, give this episode a big thumbs up. These things help us out, help other Jets fans find the show. Have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Jets.